Hello and welcome to B2B Better. My name is Jason Bradwell, and on each episode, I talk about how companies can use marketing to navigate big moments of change. Whether this is gearing up for a new funding round, launching a new product, pivoting in response to market trends, or sitting on either side of an acquisition, I break down modern-day B2B marketing strategies into actionable advice with guests who've seen it all before. Let me help you be better than boring. Let's go. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Jeremy Moser, CEO of Yousef. How are you doing, Jeremy? Pretty good, Jason. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to chat about some of this today. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. So tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Jeremy Moser. I'm a co-founder and CEO at Usurp. We're an SEO and digital PR agency. Uh, we work a lot with kind of high-tech SaaS companies and, and venture-funded companies uh, along the lines of like Monday.com, ActiveCampaign, Robinhood, uh, kind of brands like that that are both in B2B and B2C. Um, and then I also own a SaaS company called Wordable, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. And how did you end up as the CEO of Usurp? I can't imagine as a little boy, you were sitting there thinking, I really want to get into SEO when, when I'm all grown up, even if it existed at that point. You know, how did you, what was your journey that kind of led you to this, to this, uh, to this role? Yeah, absolutely. No, it was definitely not on my mind growing up being a CEO of any company, uh, let alone being in sort of the SEO niche overall. Um, so just out of college, uh, I actually got a job at a content marketing agency. Um, at the time, they were doing mostly stuff for like local companies based out of uh, Southern California. So we were doing like kind of small time work for small time companies. Stuff was like sort of interesting because I was brand new to, to all of it. Uh, but it wasn't interesting in the sense that we were working with like really cool companies that were doing things. We were working on fun, interesting projects. When you're working with more local companies, uh, it tends to be a little more cut and dry. It's a smaller budget campaign, smaller budget projects. So things are a little less interesting. Um, and then from there, the company had a little bit of a shift uh, where the co-founders actually parted ways and kind of went different directions. So originally it was really broad content marketing that they were doing. They're also doing some website development stuff. So it was kind of generalized in the marketing space. Um, and from there, the, the company, so I stuck with the co-founder. I was the only kind of employee at the time. Um, and we really shifted the market there and really transitioned into more of the SaaS space. So we were working with a lot of high-tech brands, um, did that for maybe around four or five years. And then at that point, uh, I actually ended up co-founding Usurp with my former boss. So we noticed a little bit of a uh, gap in the market, specifically in like the performance-driven SEO space, specifically around like digital PR link building, the off-page side of things with SEO. I just noticed that the market was really saturated with really low quality providers, a lot of spam. There's a lot of negativity around that space. Um, and we were already doing this for some internal projects that we had on the side. And we just figured, hey, you know, might as well spin this up into something and see if it can be its own thing. Um, and so from that point on, kind of just took the reins on Usurp. Um, and now we're at about, I think, 26 or 27 people and uh, growing pretty rapidly this year. So exciting things to come. Awesome to hear. And I'm curious because I, I had a similar kind of story to you at the beginning of my career where I was working with just one other individual, the founder of, of, of the first business that I was a, an employee of. Uh, what, when you were still working for, for him, was it just the two of you for the full four or five years or did the company grow? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, and that's interesting to hear you had kind of a similar experience. Yeah, we, so it was just us two for, I'd say, you know, maybe a couple months and then it really started to grow out into its own thing. Mm. Um, so I departed the company when I 
I'd say there was probably around 20 or 25 people in it overall. I think now they're maybe somewhere around 50. Um, and so that, that company on its own has grown in, into something larger too. Um, but it was, yeah, it was really interesting to see just the shift of, you know, the co-founders parting ways, transitioning into kind of a new niche overall and, and the growth. And so I, I really had a lot of access to like the ground floor level of learning a lot about how do you grow an agency from scratch, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're bootstrapped, you don't have any funding to go out and hire super talented people in your space. Um, so it was a, I think it was a, you know, a competitive advantage for me in, in kind of founding Usurp and, and growing it to what the way it has so far. Yeah. It's an interesting one because, you know, I speak to a lot of uh, younger professionals who are about on the cusp of their kind of marketing career kickoff. And, you know, the question that always comes up is, should I go and take a marketing job in a well-established, you know, company with dozens, if not hundreds of marketers and be put into a very kind of siloed role, marketing assistant, marketing internal, what have you? Um, or do I go and work for a startup or even like, you know, we did at the beginning of our careers with just, you know, one other individual. And I don't know what it was like for you, but for me, you know, working in a very small company, just two people and so closely with the founder and CEO, I was able to do so much stuff so quickly, just as a matter of necessity, right? I mean, I pitched, I was pitching Netflix as a client (laughs) of ours at 22 years old on, you know, uh, commissioning a focus group. And they flew us out to Austin, Texas, and we ran this focus group. I've never run a focus group in my life before, but you just kind of had to learn it and, and wing it. And it was such an amazing experience and, you know, set me up so well for kind of the more senior roles I took as my career developed. I would always say, you know, you, you need to experience a small company at least once in your career and better to do it early. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think there's there's so much value in joining a startup early on. You know, a lot of people want to start their own thing too quickly, I think. And there's there's just a lot of good things you can learn if you just get paid to learn. So go find a company that's small or a startup in a niche that you think is really interesting. Or maybe it's a, a career path you might want to take for yourself and just go learn from someone who's already doing it and already you know on that path or trajectory to succeed. I think there's just a lot of value in, in getting that. And you're also obviously getting paid at the same time, right? Versus starting your own thing. Maybe you're, you're giving yourself not much runway because you probably don't have too much in the bank account to kind of live off of. And, and so you're really stressed and kind of pushed against a wall in that, in that sense. And so I think, you know, finding a, a company or, or a niche that you like and just seeing who's doing pretty well in there and joining that, um, you get a lot of, like you said, hands-on experience doing that versus joining kind of a larger company being siloed in a role, not really seeing the internal workings of, of how that company is scaling. So, you know, one day, if you want to do that yourself, you're kind of, you're still in that same position where, you know, a lot of this stuff is foreign to you. You're going to YouTube, to Google and searching, you know, all these things that, uh, all these lessons that you can learn by getting paid to do it on the job. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that uh, you serve acquired a company called, or a product, I should say, Wordable. I think it was a couple of years ago. Tell me, what is Wordable and a little bit about the story on what led you to acquire it? Yeah, absolutely. So Wordable is uh, basically a SaaS tool that helps you export Google Docs to your CMS in one click. Um, so if you're writing a lot of content in Google Docs, you know, publishing stuff on your blog, doing content marketing, uh, you know how time-consuming and tedious and annoying uh, the upload process is, especially when you're working with tools like WordPress or Medium, HubSpot. A lot of the times you're formatting and, and uh, your images, they just don't copy over properly. And if you do a simple copy and paste from Google Docs to WordPress, you get a lot of unnecessary code that kind of weighs down your page and, and slows it down, uh, makes it worse from an SEO perspective. 
Um, so we had been using Wordable for, for quite a while um, and, and really saw the value in it because we were just publishing a large volume of content per month uh, for our own sites, but also for client sites at the time. And so we saw value in that. It could really just, you know, it's, it's basically replacing, you know, one or two people on our team that we would need to hire for that. So saving us a ton of money and time overall. And so we acquired that back in uh, late 2020. Um, and we just saw it as a really good addition to kind of our portfolio of stuff that we were trying to build. It was a really good, you know, secondary aspect of, you know, we had an agency going, USERP was kind of getting rolling at that time, uh, which we started that in late 2019. Um, and we just saw that as a great kind of secondary offer that we could provide and also another additional kind of benefit or value add to our services. Um, and there's also some more benefits to it, right? It's like, it just helps us expand into a new market of, of SaaS versus being only tied to the services space. And so gave us a little bit of diversity that we, we kind of needed in there. I have definitely experienced the pain that Wordable uh, promises to take away. Um, you know, I will spend an unhealthy amount of time reformatting content uh, that I've written in Google Docs and have them put into MailChimp. And it frustrated me so much, actually, that I moved from MailChimp to ConvertKit. It's gotten a little bit better, um, but uh, you know, it's still not, still not solved. So when you bought the product, who was its primary customer base? Who were they selling it to uh, predominantly? Yeah, so Wordable, when we purchased it, was mainly being used by kind of small-time solo bloggers. There was maybe one or two larger companies in there that we found interesting as well. Um, but most of the, the kind of ideal customer profile at the time was folks that were publishing a few pieces of blog content every month. Maybe they had like their own blog or their own like niche site or like a, maybe they own like a travel blog or something like that. So it was really geared towards solo bloggers or solopreneurs. And, uh, you know, this is a decent market, uh, but overall, we, we found there were some challenges in, in the sense that uh, obviously a lot of these folks are not at larger companies. And so their budgets are smaller, meaning, uh, you know, if things go wrong, Wordable is kind of the first tool to go in that sense. Um, people tend to be a little more price conscious in this area or this, this sector of the market. Um, so raising prices is a little bit difficult there. Um, unless you're displaying a lot of value. Uh, we also just found that they weren't getting the most value out of the tool as compared to us. So like I said earlier, you know, we were publishing hundreds of pieces of content per month for uh, ourselves, clients, et cetera, versus maybe a solo blogger who's going in there uh, maybe one or two times a month and, and publishing something very quickly. The value there is a little less uh, obvious to them than it is to us, right? So they're publishing far less. Their content is, is less technical. It's maybe uh, you know, less in depth, less images. So the overall process there for them is not saving as much time as us. Um, so the ideal or the initial target market was was pretty far off from what we saw an ideal kind of customer profile being. And that's where we decided, you know, we really need to make a shift here if we want this thing to be uh, something that lasts long-term versus, you know, this is a tool that a, a freelancer might pay for. They might say, hey, why am I paying like 30 bucks a month for this? Let me go see if there's any free alternatives. Let me just, you know, do some workarounds here and figure it out myself. Um, and so that's kind of what led us into the shift. And you shifted to who? Was it other companies like Usurp or something different? Yep. Yeah. So we've shifted into a few different primary target markets. So mainly just anyone that's publishing a large amount of content at scale. Um, so this could be anywhere from, you know, we deem a large amount of content being somewhere around like the 20 plus mark per month. That's where you really run into issues of like, okay, I need someone dedicated on my team to upload this. If I'm, you know, if I'm a larger SaaS company and we're publishing 20, 30 blog posts a month, like 
I can't have my, you know, my head of marketing publishing this. I can't even have my content marketer or strategist or specialist. I can't have any one of those folks publishing this because their time is just too valuable. Um, when you look at it from, you know, if you're publishing 30 a month and those are maybe taking you 30 plus minutes to format everything per piece, you're spending a ton of time per month uploading this and, and wasting a lot of money in that sense. Um, and so that's our, really our primary target market there is uh, tends to be, you know, SaaS companies that publish at a high volume, uh, other agencies as well that have a good array of clients, maybe they're in the content marketing space, uh, HubSpot agencies. So we, we actually transitioned the tool from just being Google Docs to WordPress into Google Docs to Medium, HubSpot. And then we're also looking at a few other e-commerce uh, integrations as well at the moment. But that, that tends to be the shift that we made. We just noticed that, you know, it was, it was 10 times more valuable for these people than it was for someone who's maybe small time and kind of doing it as more of a hobby. Yeah. So B2B Bed is all about how companies like yourself, founders like yourself can use marketing to navigate moments of change. And, you know, clearly with Wordable, that moment of change was the tool itself is sound. You know, there are things that we can do to increase its functionality and increase the value it can deliver to customers. But the kind of essence of it is, is there what we need to shift is who this is being marketed and targeted to, you know, what was the company who previously owned Wordable doing before you acquired it to generate new business in terms of marketing or sales, if indeed they had a marketing or sales strategy. And then what does that strategy look like now targeting these new ISPs that you just outlined? Yeah, so they uh, they were essentially using this as, as more so a side project than really directly promoting it. They were actually another agency as well doing content marketing for, for really similar brands that we were doing it for. Um, so a lot in the SaaS space, they were a pretty well-known content marketing agency uh, doing a bit of strategy things as well. Um, and so they were doing, you know, kind of the bare minimum on acquiring customers. And that was the, really the goal the tool for them was not to create this into something that was, you know, massive at scale and more so just here's a cool niche project, like built it out of own necessity in that sense to where like, you know, this was just for them at one point, but they realized, okay, there is a need here for a tool like this. People are kind of asking for it in the space. Um, and so for their own marketing, they were doing kind of base level SEO. They were getting some, you know, PR style mentions where like, you know, maybe someone was writing a piece about here's some really cool content marketing tools and they would mention portable. So really base level stuff around marketing the tool. And, and it kind of just had its own stream of, of uh, customers coming in through those. Um, but the ideal customers, you know, that we were looking for were, were not really buying based on those type of things. Um, and it was more, you know, a combination of like going towards direct selling on kind of the enterprise level of like reaching out to larger accounts that are clearly in the space and kind of need this. Um, also doing a little more expansive SEO or recovering different topics around uh, more enterprise level publishing and then how do you scale content teams and how do you scale content publishing? So they were kind of, you know, coasting on it as more of a side project, which is kind of cool. And they built it out of necessity. Um, but the marketing, you know, the, the churn was pretty high in the space. Um, they were kind of just getting, uh, you know, new signups coming in from some of that SEO that they were doing. Uh, but it was pretty base level and uh, really gave us a good, at least kind of platform to grow off of. And I appreciate there may be some, some, some sensitivities around this, but like, what have the results have been? Can you kind of share any insights on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think when we acquired it, it was maybe doing a little under 4k a month in revenue. Um, now we're currently at somewhere around like 10 or 11k per month in revenue. Um, and our change there. So another issue we faced was uh, right when we kind of purchased it, we, we quickly realized, right, that kind of what I was mentioning earlier, that this ICP was just uh, really high churn, uh, you know, high complaints about different aspects of the product, 
the pricing was already an issue, even though it was already, it was only priced at 19 a month. Um, and so there was a lot of issues we saw there and we really realized that, okay, if we raise prices right now, I'd say, you know, at least 50% are gonna churn almost instantly. And uh, we just ended up kind of going that route and just saying, hey, like we need to we need to commit to one of these spaces one way or another. And we can't really straddle the line of, of trying to tailor our messaging and our product to, uh, you know, solo bloggers, but also large enterprises who need more dedicated support or maybe they need more customized features that we can build. Um, and so we really just decided, hey, OK, we're going to we're going to transition this tool into, you know, build a, a larger moat around it in the sense that we're going to update the product. We're going to make it better. We're going to update the UI and the UX. We're also going to expand it into HubSpot, into Medium, other CMSs so that, you know, if WordPress one day decides to to fix the the copying of content from Google Docs to WordPress, we're not stuck in that and we're not kind of instantly replaced in that sense. Um, and so we really shifted and transitioned that and uh, changed the pricing structure overnight, had a lot of angry existing portable customers emailing us uh, a huge amount of churn. So lost a, a significant portion of that uh, around like 4K revenue that I was producing in a given month um, and really kind of took a different approach there. And, and since then, it's been really great so far. Uh, really transitioned from from that market into this new one and, and hopefully can expand it a little more as well. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Are you able to say with any kind of degree of confidence what of those channels that you just outlined have driven the biggest uptick in revenue? Has it come from the direct selling? Has it come from a kind of revised SEO approach? Like, is there one that stands out amongst the crowd? Yeah, I would say, honestly, it's pretty split between the two at the moment. Um, we're hoping that the we'll, we'll do a little bit of less direct selling in the future. Um, I think it's really necessary, at least in the short term, when we're looking at kind of larger agencies at scale or just, you know, this sort of tool is, is not necessarily on people's radar. Um, there's not a ton of search volume around, like, how do I how do I export Google Docs to whatever WordPress, HubSpot, Medium, things like that. Um, so we're really a little bit limited in that sense. And so our SEO strategy has produced a good amount of revenue and a good amount of leads that come through the door. But we tend to have to take a little bit of a broader approach in the sense that, you know, maybe we're targeting things around Google Docs itself, or maybe we're targeting things around content publishing. But a lot of the stuff in those spaces, as you can imagine, in content marketing as a whole is just super competitive. And so a lot of that takes a long time to rank. It takes a long time to bear fruit in that sense, right? Where, you know, we, we get maybe around 30 to 40 uniquely uh, monthly visits from the organic side, but a lot of that is a lot more broad. So a lot of those folks are not converting, um, you know, maybe around a couple percent are really in that target market that we align with, right? So even though there is a lot of top of the funnel traffic, a lot of this space is, is uh, there's not much bottom of the funnel searches around this. And so we really have to, to go out door to door in that sense virtually and say, hey, like, we see you guys publishing a lot of content here. Like, you know, this tool, we bought it for this specific purpose. And you know, we'd love for you to check it out. So it, it's really uh, kind of a mix of those two approaches at the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, SEO is just kind of one of those aspects of marketing that I have spent next to no time, you know, <laughs> with over my entire career because I've worked predominantly in big enterprise B2B tech companies, solution-based companies where there just isn't a huge amount of search traffic for the kind of things that we're selling. And actually it's just, it's always been small teams I've worked in. It's just more effective for us to really kind of double down on, on thought leadership and promoting that through uh, paid and promoting that through social media and employee advocacy and, and things of that nature. I would love for you just to share for me and for the listeners of this podcast, you know, what a kind of 
step-by-step process would look like on how you would go about building an SEO strategy for a product like Wordable? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a good place to start there is, is really breaking down SEO into what's currently like three separate buckets. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one is going to be like just making sure the technical foundation of your site is, is great, um, both from a search engine perspective and that search engines can crawl your site. They can understand the structure of how you're outlining content. Uh, they can read your headers, your menus. They know how you know content fits together via your internal linking, the way you're structuring information architecture essentially on your site. Um, and then also from the standpoint of, right, you just need your site to be fast. It needs to be user-friendly. Someone going on, it needs to, needs to know quickly, like this content loads fast. It's easy to read. All those sorts of things are kind of what you bucket into the technical aspect. And then the second one is content marketing um, with a keyword-driven focus. So creating a lot of content for your blog around keywords in your space where, you know, there might be some relevancy to your target market. Um, so for us in this case, that was anything around really Google Docs, uh, WordPress, content publishing, anything around these is kind of that, uh, you know, mix of our target market. They could be in there. It's probably likely that they're publishing some sort of content, maybe content around growing your agency or scaling content teams. Anyone reading those is a prime candidate for using Wordable. And so really the second bucket there is identifying what are some keywords in your space? What's content you can create around those that's genuinely helpful for those folks um, so that, you know, you can convert at least a percentage of those on things like lead magnets, content upgrades, maybe you offer like a free course uh, to get folks in the door or an interesting newsletter where they sign up. And so you have a little bit of that own traffic as well. And then the third aspect or the third bucket really that we identify is off-page SEO. So doing a lot of stuff on the uh, link building side of things, digital PR, creating unique kind of branded studies, getting quotes or mentions in articles, uh, getting your brand mentioned or listed on like, you know, if you're a SaaS tool, there's a really big opportunity there to go out and search for like, you know, if you're, maybe you're a CRM, you can search for best CRM tools. There's probably dozens and dozens of, of listicles that say, here's like the best 10 CRM tools. And so your goal should be to get on those, right? Your, your goal should be to, to pitch those companies, those writers who have written those pieces and say, hey, like, here's our really unique CRM tool. Here's why it's valuable. Like, you know, can I give you a free copy or free access here so you can check it out? If it looks good, maybe add it to that piece. And so there's a lot of value there and and kind of jumping the line, so to speak, in SEO, where you you maybe don't have to rank for it yourself. There's probably someone out there that's already ranking for it. Um, As long as it's not a direct competitor, there's always an in to get listed on those. Um, And so I think that's typically a really big win. Um, So we look at SEO in kind of those three buckets, and, and that's a little bit of the approach that we've taken at Wordable. On that third bucket, I'm interested just to get your take on something. You know, my background, I started out in PR um, and comms um, sitting on, well, first I started out as kind of like a a trade journalist and then moved into PR and comms. And um, so that's why I'm kind of interested in that third bucket, you know, working with journalists uh, as a means to kind of get links pointing back to your website. I get this journalist who reaches out to me on a kind of monthly basis you know, offering basically to put a link on their website, linking to mine for a fee, like $250, $300, $500. To me, that feels a little bit seedy. What's your take? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's very uh, kind of borderline is what we would say in the SEO space. That's very, uh, it really depends on your risk tolerance there. For the vast majority of folks, I would say never do that. So if, if someone, if you go to pitch that, you're going to see this quite often. If you go to to do this and you, you pitch a given site like hey can you add my link here uh, most of them are going to charge you 
Um, and so it's really about how do you respond to that? Is there some sort of other way you can provide value there where they're not charging you? Uh, but typically, if you see a site charging, you probably want to avoid it in the first place because um, it's always going to be subject to some sort of penalty down the line. Um, if they're charging folks at scale, like probably going to raise red flags. It's probably already on Google's radar. So the link probably doesn't mean as much if, you know, for example, if you're getting a link from like HubSpot or something like that, that's very coveted. It's very hard to get linked to from HubSpot because their content processes are strict. Their editorial is really strict. They maybe don't link out to that much content. There's no way for you to go and buy a link from HubSpot. So the value there is really high of getting mentioned from them. And so I'd say, you know, avoid those at all costs if you can. If you're building a more like niche site and you're kind of just testing things, there's nothing wrong with, you know, testing that on your own. I'd just say like, if this is like your company that you're doing this for, or even your own site and you have kind of longer term ambitions for this, uh, avoiding those at, at all costs should be, should be something you do because those tend to be uh, very low quality sites overall. Um, and like I said, you know, you can really risk yourself for penalties down the line. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because, you know, I think for any kind of founders or founder led marketing teams who don't come from a marketing background, listening to this podcast, you know, it seems like an easy win at face value. It's kind of similar to those, uh, other public, other emails I get from publications where it's like, you know, we want to we've put your CEO into this kind of top list of CEOs and you've got to pay like $2,000 for the reprinting rights to actually, you know, talk about that. And to us, it's kind of like, oh no, that's like a massive red flag. I would never spend any money on that. But for a non-marketing founder who is in charge of a marketing function within their business, because there is no one else to do it, you could see it's an easy leap to go from, well, I just yeah. got to pay $500 for the link. I've got to pay $2,000 for the right to talk about this, you know, marketing tick. I've done it, right? You know, jobs are good. And um, so I'm glad you said that. And it's not just me getting my back up about it because it, it always it always aggravates me when I get those emails. Absolutely. Yeah. We If you own a site or maybe you work at a company, you probably see these emails all the time of people asking you for links. And so it's kind of the same, you know, you're that approach doesn't work all that well now. And, and really what you want to focus on is how can I build a, a larger brand? How can I publish content that's worth linking to in the first place rather than content that I have to, to go and, you know, maybe even try to purchase links on a given site. So creating a lot of that really good content, building up relationships, maybe you hire a freelancer or an agency in a space where they have all those existing relationships. They know how to distribute and promote content to really worthwhile sites. Um, just think of it like if anyone can can buy a link on a site for 200 bucks, the value there is really low because, you know, the whole aspect of of why link building is a really strong ranking factor for organic search is because it is so difficult to land such high tier links, right? So it's really coveted and really difficult to get listed on maybe HubSpot.com, GoDaddy.com, a really popular blog. And so that's really what separates you apart uh, versus, you know, paying for 100 bucks to get on this site. Any brand can go ahead and do that. And so the value there is super low. What's next for Wordable? Yeah, so, so right now we're building out a lot of, of basically a free course on Wordable uh, around everything from, you know, how do you scale content publishing per month without losing quality? How do you scale a content team? How do you vet and hire freelance writers to build a team around you? You know, everything from, you know, what rates should you charge uh, what should you accept from freelancers, how to handle the project management side of things. So building really a, a large course engine that's fully free, uh, no opt-in required. You can just check it out on Wordable. There's a lot of the, the course modules are already on there. Um, so building a, a really large content library for us around this space and, and really sharing kind of what we've done on the agency side of things and how we've scaled out that content 
for larger companies so that you know SaaS companies can come along and say, hey, you know, this is what we need. We need to be able to scale out this content side of our, our company. And so we can be kind of that leading resource and, and authority in the space for that. Um, and then in turn, you know, that, that goes along directly with the product itself, right? So if people are able to scale up their content teams, they're able to publish more frequently, more often, more pieces per month, uh, Wordable's use case only becomes stronger. And so we see this as a really good addition. Um, and we've had a lot of folks come through and kind of take the course modules and, and give us feedback. And so working on, on kind of expanding that out and building that out as kind of a growth engine for us. That's awesome. I can't wait to check it out. You've got to share the link with me and I'll definitely give it a push on, uh, on Twitter and I'll drop the link to Wordable awesome. in the description of this episode as well. I really appreciate you sharing with me the journey that you've gone on and you know acquiring this product, very quickly changing its ISP and how you then have tackled growing the product, you know, doubling its revenue in what, just over a year. Um, before I let you go, I ask these questions to every guest of B2B Better. First, you know, what do you think is going to be the biggest change in how B2B companies market themselves over the next five years? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I'd say leveraging more personal brands as influence is, is going to become more important. We're already really seeing this a lot in the B2B space, uh, you know, building communities around your product, uh, hiring folks specifically for community-based roles where, you know, this is really a figurehead in that sense. Uh, you know, maybe they're not directly involved in things like product or the old school ways of, you know, just build a great product and people are going to come is, is really not the case anymore. You know, if you don't have the, the vast amount of funding um, to go ahead and just, you know, spam the market with, with ads or marketing, and you're really trying to build something maybe from the ground up, or maybe you're a smaller company with just less funding overall, building a community around your brand, leveraging personal brands as influence, investing in a lot of branded content, um, you know, building, building out growth engines in that sense where, you know, you're, you're creating a lot of really great and unique content that the market may have not seen yet. And that doesn't necessarily have to be from an SEO standpoint. You know, SEO is just one potential channel that you can utilize as a company. And so that stuff tends to be a little more keyword driven, a little, you know, capitalizing on what's already out there. But there's also room there for, you know, inventing new trends, creating new keywords or phrases around this, you know, creating new topics and ideas. And so I think, you know, if you're if you're looking to to grow a company in the B2B market going forward, you're really going to need to stand out from a personal brand standpoint and the community standpoint where, you know, folks feel a connection to your brand overall. They want to use you versus other competitors in the market um, because, you know, competition is only getting more fierce and, and increasing over time. And so, you know, instead of trying to compete on things like price or maybe on features, even you really need to compete on brand and community and, and leveraging a lot of folks in your space that can be a positive impact from the personal branding standpoint. Yeah, that personal brand thing is so important because, you know, especially if you're a, you're, you're a younger company, early stage company, and you're competing in a saturated market with, with bigger players that have bigger budgets, um, yeah. you know, having folks working for you who are being seen every single day in people's social media feeds, talking about the topics that they're interested in, you know, building up your, your, their credibility as individuals, but by extension, your credibility as a brand is so important. And it's really um, good and fortunate to see more CEOs and business leaders coming around to the idea of accepting the fact that, you know, we need to invest in our employees to go out there and tell our story. And yes, we acknowledge that comes with the risk that maybe, someone else will appreciate what they're saying and try and poach them. But, you know, if we try and stifle them, they're just going to go somewhere that will let them do it. Um, so that's really, really good to see. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Who should I interview next on B2B Better? 
Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I'd say uh, on that note around kind of community and um, around kind of personal brand as a leverage point for companies, I'd say uh, Victoria, I'm probably going to butcher her last name, Tokars, I think, from Scribe, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a SaaS uh, that basically helps you uh, create standard operating procedures. So it like records your screen when you're creating uh, different standard operating procedures and basically translates that all into a nice clean Google Doc. It takes screenshots along the way, uh, adds some text in there. So it makes it really easy to create kind of instructional manuals for, you know, whether that's for your own team or uh, maybe even customer journeys, things like that. So she's built a really impressive community on LinkedIn and has done a lot of stuff around uh, kind of leveraging your personal brand into growing a B2B business. And she does a lot of stuff around the SaaS space. So I think she'd be uh, a fantastic guest if you haven't already had her on. I have not. So I'll definitely be reaching out to Victoria. And if you can make an introduction, I'd very much appreciate that. Jeremy, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, If you just search my name on Twitter, I should uh, show up on there. And then being a little more active on LinkedIn, or you can check us out at wordable.io or usurp.io for kind of the agency side of things. Awesome. I'll drop a link to all of those, uh, all of your profiles and uh, Usurp and Wordable's websites in the description of this episode. But otherwise, Jeremy, thank you very much for coming on to B2B Better today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed the interview, go ahead and subscribe to my podcast, leave a rating, a comment, a review, or just share it on social media. It'll really make my day. Every Monday morning, I send out a newsletter to B2B marketers all around the world on how to do better B2B marketing. You can sign up to that via the link that I'm going to leave in the description of this episode. Or if you need a fix of B2B marketing content goodness right now, you can head over to my website at www.jasonrbradwell.com. See you next week.